Turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. The Scripture states, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. This passage of Scripture deals with the account of the institution of this ordinance. In fact, The institution of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is outlined in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25, and in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. But it's not mentioned in the Gospel of John. The Lord's Supper was instituted on that night when Jesus met with his disciples to observe the Passover prior to his crucifixion. We believe the Lord's Supper was designed to commemorate the death of Christ, to signify, seal, and apply to all believers all the benefits of the new covenant, to be a badge of the Christian profession, to indicate and promote the communion of believers with Christ, and to represent the mutual communion of believers with each other. This is a permanent ordinance in the Church of Christ and is to be observed till he come. In examining the Lord's Supper, we'll consider these areas. First, he gives us a specific practice, a specific purpose, and then third, a specific person. So look with me, if you will, in verse 24. Notice the what of the Lord's Supper. The Scripture says, This do in remembrance of me. So what is this? This is referring to the practice of the Lord's Supper. And by the way, the Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances that we recognize as given by our Lord. The other is baptism. It's interesting to note, baptism, we only are baptized one time. It is a public testimony of what the Lord has done in our heart. It pictures the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we are buried together with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. But 
the Lord's Supper is a repetitive ordinance. It's one to be practiced and to be exercised on a regular basis. It's also referred to in Acts chapter 2 as the breaking of bread and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as the communion of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go any farther, we're talking about this, this ordinance. There's a great deal of misunderstanding among believers and unbelievers alike as to the essential nature of the Lord's Supper. There are many views as to the purpose, meaning, and observance of this ordinance, but I'm just going to refer to the four primary views for our understanding this morning. First, there's a view of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is held by the Roman Catholic Church. The Council of Trent teaches that after the consecration of the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ are contained, quote, truly, really, and substantially in the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist. Their teaching goes so far as to anathematize those who say Christ's body and blood are there in sign and figure only. Transubstantiation teaches the elements, the bread and the juice, are literally turned into the body and blood of Christ. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are ingesting Christ. I would say we disagree with this particular view. There's also the view of consubstantiation. This is held primarily by the Lutheran Church. They reject that which is taught by the Catholics, but they insist the body and blood of Christ are supernaturally united with the bread and the wine so that they are received when the elements are taken. So they teach that spiritually speaking, not physically, but spiritually speaking, Christ is ingested by those who participate in the Lord's Supper. We disagree with that view as well. There's the spiritual presence view. According to this view, quote, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. Uh, This, we note, is is held primarily by the Methodist Church. Again, they believe Christ is being eaten spiritually in this idea of the observance of the Lord's Supper. Again, we disagree. The fourth view that I'd mentioned this morning is the one to which we hold. According to this view, partaking of the Lord's Supper merely commemorates the sacrificial work of Christ and its value to the participant consists only in the bestowal of a blessing. We believe this morning that observing the Lord's Supper is symbolic. And we do so in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of questions come up. Why did Christ ordain bread to be used in the Lord's Supper rather than a lamb? Walsham Howell replies, Because the types and shadows were to cease when the real sacrifice was come. Remember, the real sacrifice, Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So he said, when that real sacrifice appeared, these other things were to cease. He goes on to write, there was to be no more shedding of blood when once his all-prevailing blood was shed. There must be nothing which must cast a doubt upon the all-sufficiency of Christ. You see, it is his death that was sufficient and, yea, all-sufficient for the salvation of the souls of those who trust in Christ as Savior. 
So there's no more need for blood sacrifice in the offering of animals for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ took care of our sin on Calvary's cross. And then, of course, the question comes up, well, wine or grape juice? We do not use wine. We use grape juice. The scripture refers to grape juice as the fruit of the vine. We do believe the wine that Jesus made at Cana of Galilee and the wine that he ingested would have been grape juice. For the scripture declares, you're not to look upon the wine when it moveth upon itself in Proverbs, as well as a number of other passages of scripture that condemn the consumption of alcohol. And I don't believe Jesus Christ would have violated the precepts of his own word. He is the word of God, and I don't believe he would violate that at all. So from that argument, I don't believe he drank fermented wine or alcoholic beverage when he was involved in his earthly ministry. But also we note the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was foretold or foreshadowed, if you will, in the Passover. When the death angel passed over the land of Egypt and the children of Israel sacrificed a lamb and they sprinkled his blood on the doorpost and the the lintel of their home and it's the death angel made his way across Egypt and seeing those doorposts covered with blood, he passed over those and was referred to as the Passover. He spared the firstborn of that home. Every home that did not have that mark on the door The firstborn died as a result of God's last judgment upon the nation of Israel prior to the Israelites being freed from the bondage of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But that night, that Passover, that Passover feast pictured the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were forbidden from using leaven, yeast, in that preparation of the Passover feast and subsequent Passover observances following that time. Yeast, leaven, it was a picture of sin in Scripture. Remember, Jesus warned a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So we said that we're not to use leaven in the bread. We're not to use leaven in the juice, if you will. This is a fermenting agent for both products, and therefore we use unleavened bread and grape juice in the observance of the Lord's Supper. I realize others disagree with us in that regard. That is our conviction. That is our practice. And that is what we follow, believing this is to represent, if you will, the Lord's death. And we therefore Except the fact that Jesus Christ was sinless and perfect in his death. Therefore, we would not want to do anything to imply there was anything different as to the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper. It is simply the eating and drinking of these two elements. Done so to symbolize, to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Not only that, we notice in this verse of Scripture, in verse 26, the Bible tells us, For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So not only do we recognize the what of the Lord's Supper, the practice of observing the Lord's Supper, but we see the why of it here. We do so in remembrance of the Lord. The word remember, or its equivalent, is found around 200 times in Scripture. Why does God repeat over and over and over again to his children, to his saints, to his followers, we are to remember. 
It's because we so easily forget. We have a tendency to allow the things that are important to us to slip from us. Over and over again, we're told to remember the works of the Lord. Psalm 77, verse 11. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Jesus uses this phrase saying, remember Lot's wife. Disobeying the word of God has consequences. Therefore, if we remember what God's word says, we will be less likely to violate it, to transgress the law of God, and thus avoid the chastisement of the Lord. In Mark chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus declared, Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? It's a fact. We forget a lot of things we are to remember. Beloved, one of the things we need to guard against in regard to forgetting is the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sin. It ought to be a constant remembrance to us. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the leading truths of the Word of God. For it reminds us that salvation, like this bread, is the gift of God's love. It reminds us of the life of Christ and all he did and said. It reminds us of his redeeming us from sin. It reminds us of his atonement, the broken body, and his shed blood. It reminds us that Christ alone is forgiveness of sin. It reminds us that Christ is the manna from heaven. And that our communion with God is through him and him alone. It reminds us that because of Christ we have communion one with another. And also... We're reminded he is coming again. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Yes, we are to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 111 verse 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. We're to remember he's going to return. Acts chapter 1. When the disciples walked out to the Mount of Olives with Jesus just prior to his ascending into heaven, the message of the angel that accompanied them said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We have a promise. The Lord is coming again. And the observance of the Lord's Supper is a reminder that no matter how difficult the days, no matter how great the trials, no matter how confusing our circumstances, He is coming again. And it's a reminder that we can just stop and give pause and consider, Lord, I'm looking forward to your return. You know, the Lord has promised a crown of righteousness to all those who love His appearing. We observe the Lord's Supper as a reminder that we're not to drive our tent pegs too deeply in this world, that we're supposed to understand we're simply pilgrims and sojourners in this land. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're looking ahead We're looking unto Jesus and looking forward to Him calling us home. By observing the Lord's Supper, it causes us not to be so earthly-minded, but to be heavenly-minded. Colossians 3, set your affections on things above, 
and not on the things of the earth. We are to remember. He died. He was buried. He arose again. Ascended into heaven. And he has promised he's coming again to take us home. 1 John 2.28 Now little children... Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Observing the Lord's Supper helps us to focus not on ourselves, but on he who died for us, saved us, and is coming for us. Yes, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? To remember him, to remember what he has done for us. And note Verse 26 also, we see the who of the Lord's Supper. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we're giving an illustration of Christ's death. The breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. It is the crucifixion of Christ that is at the center of our thoughts when we observe the Lord's Supper. At that moment, we're not so given to our own interests. We're not overcome by our own wants, wishes, worries, and woes. But we think of Him. I recognize that here this morning, there are numerous concerns on the minds and hearts of each present. We all have burdens. We all have troubles. We all have struggles. We all have needs. But in observing the Lord's Supper, we choose to set aside those cares and think on Him. It would do us well to practice that on a daily basis. Set aside some moments each day where we simply stop and think about the goodness of the Lord. You see, the word show, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The word show means to profess. It indicates our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be active, not passive. It is to be sincere, not shallow. It is to be continual, not casual. You do show the Lord's death till he come. You see, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a matter of worshiping him. That's why the warning is given in verses 28 through 34. I'm not going to take time to read all of that again. But Paul warns through divine revelation that if you take the Lord's Supper unworthily, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. What constitutes an unworthy observance of the Lord's Supper? If we make it about ourselves. You see, there got to be a practice in the New Testament church in those early days when people would gather together for a meal a church meal like we sometimes do. And they would bring in their food and everything and they'd set up and they'd have a big time as a part of the observance of the Lord's Supper. But it got to be where some folks were 
enjoying a banquet, and others were sitting and watching, for they had nothing to bring. And rather than understand this was a time to benefit everyone, it got to be a selfish endeavor, and as a result, things got to be too self-serving. Things got to be too self-satisfying. Paul said that's a problem. Because when you gather together for the Lord's Supper, it's not about you. It's not about how you can impress others. It's not about to demonstrating your wealth, your value, your prominence, your possessions. No. It's about thanking Him. And as a result... People had to get the idea that it was about the Lord and not them. There are other ways in which one might eat unworthily. He goes on to talk about or refer to those who might be involved in sin. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Self-examination. For what? David in in the book of Psalms said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Eating the Lord's Supper unworthily would be one who is hiding sin. Whether it be a public sin unbeknownst to the congregation or whether it be a private sin committed against somebody else in the congregation or somebody in the community. The fact is it's unconfessed sin. And we need to guard against coming before the Lord in this matter of sacred worship and doing so without seeking his forgiveness for any wrong that we had done prior to our gathering. He goes on to say, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That word sleep refers to those who have passed away. I believe it's a serious matter to approach the Lord's table in a less than sacred mindset. It's not just something to be tacked onto a service. It's not something to be entered into lightly. It's not something to be approached with the attitude, well, what would someone think if I don't take the Lord's Supper? It's not to be approached by someone who thinks, this is my right. I deserve it as much as anyone else. No. This is about the Lord and what He has done for us. It's about our thanking God for His broken body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth rightly. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should no more live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Yes, observing the Lord's Supper, reminds us of Christ's broken body. It also reminds us of His shed blood. Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. 
Hebrews 9.22, and without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Hebrews 10.14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Yes, we're reminded, Christ shed his precious blood that he might redeem all mankind from sin. The tragedy is, not all mankind comes to him. God's gift of salvation is sufficient to save anyone and everyone in the world. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Only those who benefit from God's free gift of salvation are those who recognize their lost condition, repent of their sin, and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. When we worship the Lord at his table, we're remembering what he did and what he did for us. Charles Spurgeon once said, I think the moments we are nearest to heaven are those we spend at the Lord's table. For our thoughts are not on this world, but on he who died for us. The Lord's table. The specific practice is this do. That's the what of the Lord's Supper. The specific purpose is this do in remembrance. That's the why of the Lord's Supper. And then a specific person. This do in remembrance of me, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the who of the Lord's Supper.